0: It's time to swing into the golf world of today with Springdale Golf Live. Sponsored by TaylorMade and the New Jersey Golf Foundation. Now, here's your host, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Good afternoon, and welcome to Springdale Golf Live. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, the director of fun, and I'll be here entertaining you on this Friday afternoon. Thank you for tuning into the new ESPN 920. It's a big week here at Springdale. 125 years ago. At this time, our original club leaders got together and we have been making friends and playing golf ever since. So as we celebrate with a very special guest today, we invite you to join us in remembering the past and making a toast to the future. The show starts now, but the party is all weekend. There's a party going on right here, a celebration to last throughout the years. Hail to the chief, everyone. That's right. The president is joining us this week. Stu Francis, elected president of the United States Golf Association, also a Princeton alumni and friend of Springdale, is here to help us put our amazing 125th anniversary celebration into perspective. You know, we also might discuss a little tournament his organization has coming up next week as well. So, Stu, welcome to Springdale Golf Live. Thank you for making the time to join us. How are you today? Just fine, Keith, and it's a pleasure to
1: join your program.
0: Let's skip ahead a week. There's a lot going on in the world of the USGA, and, and probably has been a lot going on since mid June, or, or obviously before that. But how are preparations going at Wingfoot? When will you head toward the East Coast to come out and, and enjoy this championship?
1: Well, the preparations have gone superbly uh, throughout this year, as you probably know. We end up spending one to two years prior to really prepping a site. Uh, being engaged with the club and talking to them about the conditioning. We'd like to see the width of the fairways, the length of the rough, the firmness of the greens, et cetera. So this process has been underway for quite some time. We do feel just great about how Wingfoot has been prepared. The membership's been extraordinarily supportive, and we think we're going to have a championship test next week for the professionals and amateurs.
0: You brought it up there, and I want to touch upon it quickly, because around these parts and all over social media, everyone's making a big deal about this rough. Is that more membership of Wingfoot input, or has that been USGA or a combination of the two? Uh,
1: It's primarily USGA in conjunction with the leadership of Wingfoot. Uh, We want a test that is uh, challenging but uh, responsive to players who hit the ball well during the week and putt well. And the club also wants to see Wingfoot stand up to the test of time as it has in the past. So we think it's been a great team effort with the Wingfoot team. And we couldn't be happier with the condition of the golf course. It's just superb.
0: Now, speaking of being happy, how proud are you as the president right now? Your are first of a three year term, obviously a challenging year, but it seems as if the team of, you know, Mike Davis and Charlie Howe and, and all of their men and women have come together and, and put together a really solid plan to have a great championship next week. How proud are you as, you know, kind of the figurehead of the USGA, you know, what has you most excited for next week?
1: Well, I think, first, the fact that we're able to conduct it. This was a very challenging year, as you know, with COVID uh, impacting uh, every type of schedule. We ended up going through multiple permutations to determine when we could have the U.S. Open, uh, how comfortable was Wingfoot in terms of having it in September, what were the broadcasting uh, situation uh, openings, uh, what is the daylight uh, situation? You know, in June you have the longest day of the year, and uh, in September you have a much tighter time frame for getting play in, particularly if you have inclement weather. So, we're able to think through all of those things, come up with a solution that worked, and then we were fortunate enough to work with the tour to be able to fit the U.S. Open into a thoughtful slot within the schedule
0: being a local venue for the US Open this year right over there across the river in Memereck, New York. I'm sure my listeners are curious. Professional sports and golf kind of shuts down at the Players Championship. You to get together with Mike soon after that, do you let the Augusta kind of see what's going to happen there in the tour? How soon I mean, I'm sure you guys talked right away, but how soon did your committee start to meet and say, "Okay, we're going to have to move this thing and this is going to be a process."
1: Well, we, we started meeting almost immediately after the, uh, the COVID uh, wave uh, hit the United States. And we started to develop what-if scenarios as to when could we move it to, how would conditioning change, what other factors were important. And it really was a Rubik's Cube in working cooperatively with the PGA Tour, With working with the PGA, working with a number of the leading tournaments the the tour conducts. And we had a series of potential paths, which we continued to iterate on until we finally landed on a decision. But it was, we were on conference calls essentially every other day talking through what could work. We had a tremendous amount of interface with the state of New York uh, in terms of what they were going to even allow and it took a while for that to uh, actually be clarified. And the other thing I think we were very thoughtful of is we said, you know, we want to conduct a first-class U.S. Open.
0: Mike and the team had to be very excited for one to two years out. Like you said, the discussions start early about having Wingfoot as a host. How excited are you to see this championship to be played at Wingfoot?
1: Well, I think Wingfoot is truly one of the classic, courses that's earned its pedigree as one of the great U.S. Open golf courses. If you look back at prior Opens we've held at Wingfoot, they've been exciting, they've been dramatic, and uh, the old adage in golf, you're not through with your round until you putt out on number 18, is totally accurately describes what playing a U.S. Open at Wingfoot means, because a lot happens in the last couple holes. So I think you couldn't select a better place to conduct the U.S. Open. I think it has all the ingredients for a uh, tremendous championship and an exciting finish. And we'll see who emerges.
0: You know, I I think we have all the ingredients for a great show today. And folks, if you're just joining us, uh, the other voice you hear on the line, that is Stu Francis. He is the president of the USGA of America. And he's also a local friend of Springdale. But well, we'll get to that in a minute. But we still want to talk a little bit more about Wingfoot here. I know you're in touch with the championship team probably every day at this point. Um, how hard do you think it will be? There's only been, I think, one U.S. Open of the five that have been contested that have been under par. Do you feel like this is going to be an over par situation?
1: Well, I think it, it it could be. I think that uh, it will depend to a reasonable degree on the conditions. In other words, uh, if the if we can have a firm and fast golf course and don't get any real rain in early September uh, and through tournament week, I think that will be very helpful to it. The rough is uh, at the levels it's going to be at, so we're comfortable with that. But as you know, between uh, firmness and wind, those factors are a much greater determinant of what the score uh, that wins can be than just conditioning alone. So we're we're a little bit dependent on weather. We're you know we're one of the few sports that plays its championships outdoors these days, and uh, weather comes into it.
0: Yeah, weather comes into it. There's no doubt about that. Thoughts and prayers to everyone out there on the West Coast with all the weather that and the situations that you're dealing with outside for sure. Now, the last couple of years, it's been a bomber that has won the U.S. Open and uh, Brooks Kepka and, of course, uh, Gary Woodland. Do you still think that Wingfoot plays into a bomber or is it going to be somewhat more of a tactician? So if you had to kind of go down a road, would you go down the Bryson Road or would you go maybe down the Morikawa Road?
1: Well, that's a pretty good question. That really does bookend uh, uh, professional golf these days. And I, I do think if you don't hit the ball straight and in the fairway at Wingfoot, it's going to be pretty challenging because one of the critical, uniquely differentiating aspects of the Wingfoot design is a host of elevated greens, where if you do happen to miss the green, it's more challenging to get it up and down than it is on a much more, uh, level green and putting surface arena. So even if you hit it long, if you hit it in the rough and you miss a green, it's very difficult to get it up and down. So I think fairways are going to be critical to, uh, whoever wins the championship along with good putting, because these are undulating, large, uh, challenging greens. And if you put it in the wrong spot on the green, it's very difficult to two putt. So it's going to take exacting iron shots as well. So it, it, it tests the entire uh, set of clubs in your bag.
0: Now you hedged your bets pretty good there between the two sides. If I had to put you on the spot, do you have a guy that you're rooting for that you think, you know, may come out, uh, standing next to you on Sunday afternoon?
1: Well, I think, look, I I, I think this group of uh, touring professionals is truly one of the most first-class group of people you can ever interact with. I've gotten to know many of them over the years in terms of selecting them for the Walker Cup, letting them know they won the Mark McCormick Award as the best amateur in the world. So I, I really do feel that I've been able to, to get to know a host of these players very well. And they're all great, great guys. And I'd be happy with essentially any one of them winning the championship. So, but if you had to predict, I think it's going to be a straight driver of the golf ball who wins and that's Colin Morikawa. That's a Webb Simpson. Frankly, that's DJ. I mean, DJ is a pretty accurate driver of the golf ball as well, but you know, we'll see on Sunday night. Uh, I may eat those words and, uh, We'll see how many fairways the the winner actually hits out of 72 holes.
0: Well, there's no doubt you have about 15 million reasons to pick DJ to win. I mean, he's pretty hot right now. There's no doubt about that. All right. And speaking of pretty hot, this historic landmark course, right, has a a rich tradition and history in golf. But so do you, Stu. And, you know, my listeners may not know uh, enough about you. How did you end up being a leader of the USGA? Could you could you give us the Reader's Digest version for everybody? Sure. Well, I,
1: I love golf, and I particularly love competitive golf. I obviously competed at a very high level when I was you know younger and in college, and shortly after that, qualified for a number of US amateurs. And so I, I've still loved to compete, even though I've had you know a full time investment banking job for forty three years after getting my MBA. And raised a family and, you know, have had a wife that's been very supportive of my competitive golf career. So I think that uh, I've tried to continue to compete on a state and national level selectively. And in doing that, a host of people were aware that I love the game. I love to compete and kind of monitored what I was thinking in my Ability to be impactful in terms of serving the USGA. And, uh, you know, someone asked me a number of years ago, would you be interested? And if they'd asked me five or seven years earlier, uh, I would have said, I I just don't have the the time ability right now with kids at home working a a hard job and still trying to compete. But it came up at a time in my life when I felt that I could shade a little bit more to the give back to the game category. And that's what I did. I, and I will say, as I think about the time and the, the interest of serving the USGA and the role I'm in, even though it's extensive, you know, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what golf has given me over my life. It, it, it created a, you know, an environment where I spent a ton of time playing golf with my parents and my brother Uh, I love to compete. It taught me how to interact with adults. It taught you how to be humble, taught you how to accept uh, disaster and embrace success and keep an even keel. It helped through business and it helped get me to Princeton. So I have a lot of due bills to golf that I'll never be able to repay for what I've been able to get from golf. But serving the USGA and serving the game overall, at least is a, a small contribution
0: back on behalf of all of us, thank you for all that you are doing. I mean, you're going above and beyond and we all really appreciate that. And you know, when I think about your story, I think about other wonderful stories and I got one quick question for you. If you could write the script for this weekend, would it be more interesting for the USGA and for Stu Francis on Sunday to hand the trophy to Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods?
1: Well, that's a pretty tough one. Uh, you know, both stories are spectacular. I mean, t- Tiger's comeback to to win the Masters after such a drought and all the challenges that he encountered was truly one of the greatest sports stories, I think, in history. And Phil, uh, if he were to win the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, which was the site of probably his best opportunity to win back in 2006 and unfortunately it didn't happen would just be a great story so I'd love to see them go into a two-hole playoff uh, on Sunday night and then we'll see who wins and each one of them I'd be happy I've played with each of them before and they're both very nice guys Uh, you know I've played with Phil a fair amount I played with Tiger interesting story about Tiger we played together in a pro-am and he doesn't play in that many pro-ams. And about two, three weeks later, he was friendly and everything. About two, three weeks later, I went to my office. I saw a little envelope that I didn't recognize. I opened it up and it was a personal note from Tiger. And it wasn't just dear pro-am participant. Thanks for playing. It was dear Stu. I enjoyed playing together. Uh, I can't believe that putt we read together and you hit on 14, didn't go in. I enjoyed the round. Good luck playing senior amateur golf. Sincerely, Tiger. I mean, for him to take the time, write a personal note, uh, sign it himself, and only he could have written it, uh, that's a side of Tiger that probably not that many people see. So I, I like both of the guys a lot, and uh, I go back to what I said. I'd love to see a tie and a two-hole playoff Sunday night, and then whoever wins between the two of them. I'm going to be happy for
0: him. Well, you took that question to the next level by going to the playoff. I hadn't thought of that. But in any event, I'm sure we would all, as fans of the game, would love to see a little Phil Redemption and love to see a little Tiger Red on Sunday afternoon. So um, I'm with you there. But uh, can you stick with us for a couple more minutes? i got to jump to a quick break for a second. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well folks here. It's 318 PM here in Princeton and twelve eighteen PM for our friends out there in Napa playing on the PGA tour. Thanks for listening to ESPN nine twenty. Be back in a moment with more amazing insights from the legendary leader of the USGA, Mr. Stu Francis. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. We are excited to announce that PGA Hope, helping our patriots everywhere, a rehabilitative golf program for military veterans with disabilities, will take place on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. throughout the fall season at Fiddler's Elbow Country Club. To support the NJGF or learn more about the PGA HOPE program for military veterans living with physical and cognitive challenges, visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. Rich and distinguished history for nearly 125 years, Springdale Golf Club and its members have been beautifully making their mark as the best golf and social experience in our region. Our impact in the industry does not stop there. Did you know about the benefits that extend beyond the boundaries of the club through its agreement with Troon Purvey, The private club operating division of Troon Golf Management. Springdale's walkable and superbly conditioned William Flynn design course, now combined with Troon's operational expertise, are taking the club to the next level in our commitments to the member experience. Just announced as a significant expansion to the Troon purvey privileges program this Vanguard service initiative includes enhanced golf and lifestyle benefits that extend far beyond the fairways for more information about our club and all the incredible moments being made at Springdale Golf club and through Troon purvey please take a visit of our website at www.springdalegc.org forward slash Let's get back on course as Springdale Golf Live continues. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to Springdale Golf Live. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You know me as the director of fun, and you're listening to new ESPN 920. On a week where we are celebrating our past, let's remember this day. To everyone who has lost a cherished loved one, let's take a moment to celebrate their lives as well. Why won't you come see me? The second half of today's show, I'd like to touch upon another great Northeast golf course. Stu, you were a standout member of the Princeton golf team in the 70s. What are some of your fondest memories of competing at Springdale?
1: Well, Springdale is a classic William Flynn golf course, very tight golf course, small greens, elevated in some degree to what Wingfoot will present to the pros next week. So, I love the course because you could get a string of birdies going, but once again, the old adjective of "you weren't uh, done with your round till you put it out on number 18" is very true at Springdale. So we, you know, we played dual matches back then, or tri matches rather than large tournaments, and that was a lot of fun. We'd have uh, Harvard and Yale come in for the Harvard-Yale Princeton match. We were able to prevail in that uh, whenever we had it at Springdale during my tenure. And we just had a, uh, you know, it was right next to campus, so you could walk over with your golf bag uh, from your dorm. And uh, it just was the prototypical way to play major college golf, in my opinion.
0: So this week is is a huge week in the world of the Springdale, the membership, the, the township of Princeton. Springdale is celebrating its 125th anniversary as a club. And, you know, I did my homework and we were the 58th club recognized by the USGA. Now, it's an interesting uh, and, and folks, if you're just joining us, we're with Stu Francis here, who is not only a Princeton alum golf team member, but also now the president of the USGA. So you could see folks while we brought him on today because there's a, a unique perspective here. Not only did you compete here in college, but as a member of the USGA executive committee, you know, hopefully you could put this all into perspective Springdale's in its own top 100. It's some of the first 100 clubs that were recognized by the USGA. In your opinion, how vital were those clubs in getting the USGA started, organized, and on a track to be successful and then, you know, at some point get to where it is today?
1: Well, I think the original clubs that formed the foundation of golf in America and the USGA were just critical to having golf thrive the way it has over the last uh you know, 100 plus years in the United States, the uh, desire for an experience that was conducted under a standard set of rules that everybody could play, that you had a set of golf courses who were willing to come together and conduct their tournaments, conduct their day-to-day play in a manner that was consistent, we think was just critical to having golf become a sport that is enjoyed by many people around the country.
0: You know, as the USGA has grown through over the years, right, you've been able to handle uh, generations worth of golfers. And COVID-19 and the pandemic and the little pause that we've had, as we have come out of that, golf has seen a tremendous boom. And the USGA has always been at the forefront with the RNA and the PGA of America and all the allied associations in golf. At trying to then harness and sustain that boom. The executive committees over there at the USGA, what have your discussions been like? Well,
1: you highlight a good point. Golf has proven to be a very important component of the social and athletic mix that works well in a COVID environment. We were very involved with coordinating and leading the response from all the allied golf associations about when to reopen golf, how to reopen golf, what provisions should we include to make sure that once golf was reopened, it had the ability to sustain its, uh, its impact on society. And I think uh, we were very careful in not reopening too early. We did not want to be Uh, you know, the outlier of the one sport that was charging ahead and everybody else was not able to. And then people would take shots at golf. So we waited for a while. We then, uh, I think, put in place a series of things that various governments got comfortable with.
0: Well, and just listening to you there, there's no doubt there's a plan in place. And congratulations this week, because when you want to talk about handling the or sustaining this boom, you're going to need to expand. And I know that uh, Golf House is now going to have a secondary location down in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Do you want to touch on that announcement at all that, that just happened this week? Sure, I'd be happy to. We just made the
1: announcement this week. We're expanding to have Golf House Pinehurst, which will have a number of Uh, divisions of the USGA located in Pinehurst, the most uh, significant of which is the testing and research center. Uh, As golf has continued to expand, you know, it was our judgment, we were going to need to build a new test center. And then we decided to sit and think, okay, if we're going to do that, where should we locate it? And the home of golf for the Americas is certainly Pinehurst. They get a million visitors through there per year, and so we said let's build it there let's bring pieces of the museum down there we already have some of our championship staff there so we're very excited about it the announcement went well felt like the right thing to do and the, the state of north carolina embraced that in the right ways so we were excited to announce it
0: well speaking of embracing i've got one last thing to do with you today you know my folks and fans that of here at springdale golf live love to get to know my guests on a little bit more of a personal level. So uh, we do our thing here on the show. So you up for this, Stu? I am. I'm prepared. As prepared as anyone can be for this. So here we go. Favorite hole at Springdale?
1: Uh, I always liked the old, under the old layout, number 18, with the pond uh, in the fairway. You had the Princeton Inn on the right side where students would always be out throwing frisbees and things like that. And sort of after playing around a of golf, that brought you by, right back into the college atmosphere. So I, I love that hole. Great choice. Most used app on your phone? Uh, for me, it's just email uh, by far.
0: Would you rather win an Oscar or a Grammy?
1: Uh, I would rather win an Oscar. I think it's, it's like the U.S. Open. It, 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 it contains a host of skills, probably more skills than just a Grammy.
0: If you could be a teacher in high school, what class would you teach?
1: Well, math. And actually, when I uh, went to Princeton, I was hoping to, be, to become a math professor. Uh, but I soon realized that as you got into theoretical math, it became a little bit more challenging. And, uh, but I still love math.
0: When you hear the word innovator, who is the first person that comes to mind?
1: Uh, I would say Steve Jobs. I mean, if you look at what Apple has done, you know, $2.4 trillion in market value today. Uh, so I'd say Steve Jobs. And second would be Elon Musk, who's really changed the debate around the future of transportation.
0: It's almost like the, uh, the next generation Einstein and Edison in some ways. Right. Describe the U.S. Open in one word uh exciting favorite sport to watch other than golf uh basketball well basketball's heating up these days down there in the bubble
1: yeah they've done they you know they had a few missteps early on in the bubble but now they seem to be doing reasonably well and watching the playoffs on television is still pretty exciting and uh it's interesting to see who's emerging uh surprised to see Milwaukee get knocked out uh I'm a Lakers fan, uh, along with a Warriors fan. They they didn't make it, but I, I, I'm a LeBron James fan since I'm originally from Cleveland, so we'll see what happens. But it's been a pretty good NBA season so far.
0: I like his chances at this point, for sure. All right, one more question for you. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of quick advice, back when you graduated Princeton, what would you say?
1: Uh, I would say to... Be thoughtful in balancing everything you want to do there. You you, you can't put a hundred percent effort into each part of your life all the time. And you have to determine from a prioritization standpoint, what's most important to you when you're doing it. I guess what I'd say is, you know, I played a little basketball at Princeton, but I think Uh, Pete Carrill's adage uh, in his response when asked about how do you serve up such good basketball teams when you have people who have the challenging academic demands of Princeton? And Pete said, the most important thing is what you're doing when you're doing it. And I think that's a pretty good adage to uh, focus on, which is when you're focused on something, that's 100% important to you. And then a day later, maybe something else. So that's how I think about it.
0: Well, on this Friday afternoon there, Stu Francis, thank you for giving us your focus. You've been tremendous and you've certainly been thoughtful and balanced. I can't thank you enough for being on Springdale Golf Live.
1: He, thank you. Uh, you have a great golf course and a great program and I appreciate the opportunity to be part of it.
0: Thanks. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great championship next week. Thank you. Now that was a cool interview. Oh man. So great to have Stu with us today, and you know what else is great? Our supporters and sponsors. Hey, thanks, TaylorMade Golf, New Jersey Golf Foundation. Of course, you know them as Dratty, Fairway and Green, Zero Restriction EP New York. But to me, they're Summit Golf Brands and FH Wadsworth. Wade Weezer on the board. Excellent job as usual. Springdale Board of Governors. It's time to celebrate number one twenty-five. Truon Golf Management. Thanks for all your help this week and every week. And most importantly, thanks to my listeners. It's time to celebrate, so I'm heading to Springdale. But where are you headed? We'll let the tower be your guide. And from New York to Philadelphia, and of course, everywhere online, may you all have a Springdale Day. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Return to the tee next Friday at 3 with Keith Stewart and Springdale Golf Live.